When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of AMA. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu. And if, by the way, if you're not following me socially, you can follow me at at Tom Bilyeu across socials. My last name's spelled a little funny, but it's B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Hopefully I will see you online. All right, if you want one of your questions answered, you can submit them to AMA at impacttheory.com. Use the subject line AMA question. And if you want to remain anonymous, as always, that is absolutely fine. Just let us know. All right. And by the way, if you guys haven't already download the Relationship Revelations PDF, it's full of these amazing questions that Lisa and I put together that are really going to help you build trust with your partner and quite frankly, just get to know them better. These are like the 26 coolest things that we could think of. And some of them are dangerous. Like they definitely start really easy. You don't have to worry. By the end, these are going to be some really intense conversations that you guys are going to have. I think it is perfect for Valentine's Day. It will make it a lot of fun for you guys. And you're going to get down to some really interesting shit. We're not just staying on the surface. So go to impacttheory.com forward slash relationship to download your relationship revolutions. Revelations. Revelations. All right. Here we go. First question. Eric Laycock. I've been working hard to on overcoming poverty for the past year. How do I leverage my circumstances to create a vision of wealth that comes from a place of honesty and passion instead of greed and selfishness? On the one hand, poverty is exhausting and it's not acceptable. On the other hand, my excitement and greed has tricked me into believing bullshit before. Okay, so Eric, A, I can sympathize with your plight. I totally understand that. And here is the reality. I think that wanting things for your life, having a vision of things that you want can be very exciting. And I don't think that it's bad. Here's the thing. The struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. And even if you end up being successful, it may take an extraordinarily long time. So what I always say to myself is there at least needs to be the opportunity for extraordinary upside for me to really get something out of this. But then on the day-to-day basis, it's got to be adding value to other people's lives. And it's got to be something that as I'm doing, I'm enjoying it. Now, why do I hold myself to the standard of it's got to add value to other people's lives? I will just tell you right now, if you're wired anything like I am. That's just the reality of how to be fulfilled, how to sustain yourself in the times that it gets hard. It's not going to be enough that it's just doing rad shit for you. That is awesome. And that will feed you. And that is a part of it. And I don't want you to think that this is about being Nelson Mandela or Gandhi, that you can't have your own thing in this, that there isn't something that you want. Like, I'm going to tell you a secret here. I once toured a $250 million house and hot damn We all have our thing. Houses is mine. And I already live in just a ridiculously big house, but it is not nearly big enough for my dreams. That's just the truth. So my thing is I'm very okay chasing wealth, building something extraordinary for myself. If every dollar that I make, I'm bringing things to the world that are actually improving people's lives and I can feel very good about it. And I know that I may never get that money. So I need to be sustained and fulfilled by what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. I need to be, for me, this is my thing. 
I need to be touching lives. I need to be improving people's lives. I need to be doing something that gives me that deep sense of resonant fulfillment. Like that is everything to me because that's the only thing that really matters because the money can't touch the neurochemistry of how I feel about myself. And that all comes down to what do I really believe to be true about myself? And if every day I believe to be true that I am legitimately and sincerely going to bat for people and trying to do something amazing for them, and then I'm trying to stretch myself and push my skill set and do hard things for the sake of getting better, self-improvement, becoming a better version of myself. Then I know that I'm going to feel good whether or not the money comes. And then if the money comes, amazing because money is powerful. Money is fun. It lets you do a lot of cool shit. It just isn't going to make you feel better about yourself. So make sure that you're doing all the things that do that, like adding value to people's lives, like doing hard things, like improving yourself. If you're doing all of those things, and you sincerely want good things for people and you back it up with your actions, then doing stuff that's selfish for you can also be a powerful motivator. So uh, don't worry about that. If you like Lamborghinis and that's your thing, then hey, build towards that as well. Just hold yourself to a standard that you know is going to fulfill you in the day-to-day grind in case the Lamborghini never comes. Jason Park. I lead a lifestyle that many people would describe as a hermit lifestyle. I wake up by 3 a.m. in the morning and go to bed by 7 p.m. so I can prioritize things that I love and care about the most, which are my career, exercise, reading, and sleep. While this lifestyle allows me to feel a sense of deep fulfillment and happiness, I can't help but think that I'm being a bad friend to my friends and being selfish because I invest the most of my time and energy in myself. My question is, am I missing out on my life by not taking care of my relationships and doing fun things, quote unquote, that only someone in 20s can do? Am I a selfish narcissist or is it okay to continue living the way I am as long as I can be honest with myself that this lifestyle brings me the most happiness? So I will say this. I've never met a human... Um, whose life was not improved by having close relationships and friends and people that they can be vulnerable with and bond with and connect with, there is something extraordinarily beautiful about that. So I would definitely encourage you to do that. But I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to give up anything about the way that you structure your life. Who says you can't have lunch with a friend? Um, You don't need to hang out with people late at night. You don't have to go party. You don't have to um, hang out the way that society says you should be hanging out. Um, I will say that you're, I didn't party at all in my 20s, at all. I literally, God, did I go to a club even once in my 20s? I don't think I did. I certainly went to a bar a few times with friends, but like I didn't even start drinking until I was 26. I don't think I've ever been intoxicated. I don't want to lie. Okay, a few times in my 30s, I had been intoxicated in bars and stuff, but... Wow, only then uh, would only be if I was hanging out with my wife or friends. So it's like, man, I'm just not a partier. I don't go in on that shit. Uh, I'm not saying that that is bad, man. If that is your shtick, go hard for it. And there have definitely been times where I've shook my ass. So don't get me wrong. Like, definitely there has been playtime on my agenda. But wow, when I say that I have a structured life that is outside of what people would call normal, that is very true. Um, But I'm very cognizant of the fact that I have this one thriving relationship, which gives me that deep connection, all of that. And that is my wife. So I literally married my best friend. So I have somebody that I can be vulnerable with, that I can hang out with, that, you know, I can do all of the fun stuff. And we just happen to be on the same cycle of going to bed really early and getting up early and, you know, all that stuff. So um, I think that you definitely, definitely will live a more fulfilling life if you have interpersonal relationships 
but I don't think that you have to break the structure of your life. And I don't think that you're a narcissist just because you're doing things that fulfill you. I think at the end of the day, anybody that's not chasing personal fulfillment is a fool. Um, so yeah, I think that you need to add something to your regimen. I don't think you have to change your regimen. So hopefully that helps. All right. Thomas Markham. A couple years ago, before I became a regular listener of Impact Theory and Women of Impact, word up, I regularly had thoughts that I wasn't good enough, my wife and son were better off without me, and I should just end it all now. I have worked past that through a ridiculous amount of reading and mistakes and trying new brain tricks. For some reason, I am sometimes terrified that such ants, automatic negative thoughts, will come back even stronger if something catastrophic were to happen. What advice would you give to someone who may still be in a negative thought loop? And what advice would you give me if ever it does come back stronger? Okay, so here's the reality. I'm actually shocked that you don't have it. I have a negative voice in my head every day, literally every day. So I've just learned so many tools and tricks that I'm able to um, use it as mental jujitsu so that when the ant appears that I'm able to use that as a habit loop trigger to remind myself of one thing that I have cultivated this belief so intensely it truly sits at the core of my being and so I just revert everything back to that and that belief is on a long enough timeline I can learn anything so everything just comes down to a question of do I want to put that kind of energy into it yes or no and then Dude, sometimes people just have to like get to the facts, facts, facts. So unless you're being abusive to your family, they're definitely not better off without you. Like just looking at the data, children are better off with both parents. That's just facts. It's data. Um, again, unless you're abusing them in some way. So um, assuming that you're not doing that, then they are for sure better off with you. And so it isn't with you because you're a great dad or you're doing everything right, which then it gets into like the qualitative where you're not going to be able to make yourself believe that. And so you fall into this death loop of, well, okay, most people's kids are better off with them, but not mine because I'm so bad at this. And that's where people have to really be dispassionate. And it's actually something that I've cultivated in myself. And I really haven't thought a lot about um, articulating this, but I do this a lot in terms of I just have these beliefs about the world. And so if I'm feeling like I'll give you a belief about the world, insecurity is not sexy. So if somebody were to say something to me that made me feel really insecure, I'm just not going to react to that. I'm not going to try to campaign or convince them otherwise because they're going to recognize that that's just that something that's triggered my insecurity. And so nothing I can do will get me out of that. So I think it's far better to be like, oh, it doesn't phase me to focus on other things, to take my mind off it, to start doing, you know, something like assuming this happens at a party or whatever, just go engage with somebody else, get onto other topics of conversation and know that eh, on a long enough timeline, I either am whatever, you know, they're saying I am that's making me feel insecure. And if I am and I don't like it, I can change it or I'm not. And it doesn't matter what they think. And so it's like just recognizing that I have these beliefs. I understand how human beings are. I understand that even though my instinct is to go and convince them um, that I'm not what they're accusing me of, um, I know that that wouldn't work. It wouldn't end up convincing them anyway. I know that having negative beliefs about oneself is self-defeating and that you can't allow yourself to do that. It's just true about the world. So nothing needs to be special about myself to understand that allowing myself to think negative things about myself is never going to be an effective long-term strategy. Um, it might serve me in very acute moments from time to time so that I do turn and face an inadequacy or whatever. Um, but you just have to have like these 
um, group of things that you believe about the world. And in your case, one of those is that kids are better off with their parents. Okay, cool. So now it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It just matters that that is a way that um, kids are better off. So we can set that automatic negative thought. And then if we're like, well, um, maybe I am abusive, maybe I'm like neglecting them so much or I'm so dumb or I'm so bad at parenting that maybe some people really would consider this abuse. Okay, well, if that's true, let's immediately reverse that. We know that we can learn. So all we have to do now is identify where do I suck? Do I suck at time management? Is it my attitude? Am I coming home in a bad mood because I'm too stressed out? Like just not taking it on that it makes you a bad person and beginning to identify the things you're going to need to do to get out of this. All right. So you're, the next big thing that you have is that you're worried. You've actually done a pretty good job of getting this all under control, but you have this longstanding anxiety over the fact that something might happen in the future. So first of all, you're imagining and what I call rehearsing a scenario um, that you don't want to come true. Now, the more you rehearse it, the more your brain's going to hardwire it because you're repeating it. Repetition is like magic. Repetition is how the brain hardwires. So anything you repeat, good, bad, indifferent, is going to be what becomes the easiest thing to think and the most frequent thing you think. So this is where cognitive behavioral therapy is going to come in. And you're going to repeat something like, first of all, it's not going to come back because that's how hardwiring works is I've repeated this new thing so much that for the old thing to come back, it would happen over a long period of time through a lot of repetition. And even if it does come back, I already know the tool of how to unwind it. And so I would just go through the process. So one, probably not going to come back Two, if it did, I'll know exactly how to handle it. So the thing that I would focus on is that second phrase, because it's true and it's very empowering. And if you repeat it over and over and over, you're going to start to feel good about yourself. And I would say it in like a really aggressive way. Even if my anxiety came back 10 times harder than it did before, I now have the tools to deal with that. And I would crush that shit. I would be so on top of that that I would get out way faster than I got out the first time. So I've absolutely no fear of that happening because this isn't like... Um, me needing to be protected from the difficulties of life. This is about I'm turning myself to an absolute fucking badass who is capable of dealing with this. Pray not for a lighter load, my friend. Pray for stronger shoulders, as they say. So that's the kind of shit that I repeat in my head all the time. And so having that, thinking like that, repeating that, that just starts to get ingrained in my mind. And so then it gets to the point where the negative voice actually ends up like getting me stoked, amped up, because I'm like, I will fucking crush this I know how to rise above this. I know how to use these techniques to push forward. And like knowing that I've got that, like even now I'm like swaying back and forth and I can feel it because that's the kind of thing I've trained myself in my head to react quickly, react aggressively, to remind myself how far I've come, to remind myself how fucking badass I've gotten at this stuff. And that when it's in your own head, like you don't need other people to agree with you. Other people don't need to know that you think that you're a badass. You don't have to open yourself up to other people's opinions. It doesn't fucking matter what they think. What matters is you're repeating that phrase in your head and you repeat it over and over and over. So even if in the beginning you feel like a fraud, an absolute sham for saying that, the more you repeat it, the truer it will become. The faster you'll start thinking along those lines when the negative voice comes up. So that using that repetition and then the last part, do some hard things every day. Make sure that you're always battle ready so that if it does come back, you're able to deal with it. My new hard thing obsession is cold exposure. And I hope that you guys joined me on that 30 day cold shower challenge, because let me tell you, that shit is faux real. 
And the more I do it, the more I realize that this is super powerful and that I'm now beginning to really get a hold like of where my mind goes when I step in, where my energy goes when I step in. And there are days where I'm not in the mood for it, man. And I get in that shower and that shit is cold. And like, I have this sense of urgency that I just have got to get out of the shower. And in those moments, I realize, no, I'm in control of my mind. I'm in control of how fast my thoughts are going, my heart rate, my breathing, and I can slow everything down. And there's no reason I'm not going to die. There's no reason to slip into fight or flight and practicing getting out of fight or flight when you have a real stimulus that is trying to push you into that. Cold water actually creates cold shock proteins. My, This is a fascinating thing about wearing a continuous glucose monitor. It plummets my blood sugar. It'll drop my blood sugar by sometimes more than 20 points. And you feel that when you're in the shower. And so there is this physical, visceral response that you get to practice every day overcoming it. And when you do that enough, you begin to really earn credibility with yourself. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have these outside stimuli that for a minute, for a red hot minute, they knock me for a loop. But I know I've practiced daily how to get back control. And when you're doing that, then you're really bulletproof. So it's not that the anxiety won't come back. It's not that the negative voices aren't going to come back. It's they are. You're just going to know how to deal with them. Jeremy Cummings. I work with a startup company on their marketing team. I'm doing this to learn about various aspects of business while I also work on my own startup. The head of sales and marketing said something to me that has been bugging me. He is more experienced in entrepreneurship than me. So... He was saying it as advice. I have some issue with my temper and the way that I express my feelings. I tend to be direct with people because it's either that or I bottle everything up and it turns into resentment. He told me that if I want to succeed as a CEO, there will be times I need to hide how I really feel about things. That sounds like dishonesty to me, though it could just be pragmatism. Do you think there are situations in business where lying or misrepresenting things can be acceptable? So I will reframe this for you. You definitely do not need to show every emotion that you have for sure. And you can call that anything you want. You can call that outright lying and I don't care. You've got to get your emotions under control. You cannot lash out at people because you're going to make them feel some kind of way. First of all, you're going to make them feel like you're emotionally unstable. And then when the shit hits the fan, they're not going to feel like they can turn to you. So whatever word you want to put around that, I will call that being emotionally resilient. And yes, you need to be emotionally resilient. You need to be able to not spin the fuck out of control. You need to be able to keep your head. You need to be able to stay focused. You need to be able to keep the blood in your prefrontal cortex so you can continue to be logical, rational, explain your yourself well and remember that one of your jobs is definitely to win people over and not just force them to do the things that you want. So him telling you to have tact, I think is very wise. There are always a thousand ways to say something to present the same information, some that really freak people out, some that make them feel like you're a dick and some that just feel like, okay, that hurt. There's no question that hurt. And I wish that wasn't true, but it was said in a respectful manner. And I totally buy into principles, which means if you have a criticism of somebody, you're going to have to say it. But how you say it 
when you say it, in front of whom you say it, all of that stuff comes into the equation. So there are definitely times where I'm like, okay, mental note, I am absolutely going to have to tell that person X, Y, Z, and I'm going to need to tell that to them soon. But sometimes I don't want to say it in front of those people, or I can tell right now they've really got me pissed off about it, and I do not want to approach this from a place of anger. So I'm going to wait until that has subsided. I'm going to get my thoughts together, and then I'm going to go to them. But you don't leave it for weeks and weeks, you know, but sometimes you're going to leave it for a couple days before you're able to, you know, line up schedules and get them in a space um, and then laid out for them. But I think that you do owe them the absolute candid truth. Um, but I think that brutal honesty is uh, a way of being candid with people that can often have horrific consequences. So that's the perfect example of you're getting to the same point, which is the truth in a way that can be understood directly and nakedly. But one way is done with compassion in a way that people can understand. And another way is done in a way that's going to make them um, shut off to you, to close off to your message, to not hear you, to think ill of you, um, and make it impossible to lead them. So it sounds like they probably um, are pointing out something powerful for you, and I would definitely listen to that. You may do all the sort of internal work and realize, you know what, I really appreciate their feedback. I don't actually think they're right. And as it's but one voice, it may be worth going out and seeking other voices. And I certainly would be very unshy about saying, hey, um, you know, my manager said this to me, um, and it really makes me want to get additional feedback. Um, and so I'm looking for a candid response from you and you and you and you and you, however many people you feel comfortable asking this to, and see if you begin to get a... Um, a theme that pops up where, you know, people are saying that, yeah, in fact, you are gruff with people. You are um, overly direct. You sometimes come across as rude, you know, whatever. And just as long as you reward them for that feedback, no matter how hard it is to hear by thanking them, not arguing with them, not pushing back. You can ask clarifying questions if you're legitimately um, unclear on what they're saying, but under no circumstances say anything other than thank you for that feedback because honesty is worth its weight in gold. Um, you said something in your question that I actually wanted to address, which was... Um, <clears throat> I have some issues with my temper and the way I express my feelings. I tend to direct it with people because it's either that or I bottle everything up. Okay, so you have created a false dichotomy there. There are a thousand ways that we can learn to communicate, to take in the information, to diffuse our own emotions, to process through it, and then respond. The way that you're making out is that there's some part of your personality that is beyond reach and people just have to accept that you have this shitty little corner of your personality. Um, that's not an effective way to get what you want out of life. So no moral judgment on it. I'm just saying it's not a good way to get what you want. So I would really focus on that. And if acting like that isn't serving you, then you need to change. All right. Thank you for the amazing question. Next up, we have Jim Foster. I don't want to simply avoid disease. I want to have abundant health. One catch, though, the only evidence I know of for health for health. I think that's just a typo. The only evidence I know for health is activities, 25-minute 5K, 100 push-ups, mental exercises, etc. You look incredibly healthy, but I doubt you measure one of your core values by something as subjective as appearance. How do you personally measure health? So um, honestly, I personally measure health by a few things. One, how do I feel? That is first and foremost. Uh, so joint pain has been something that plagued me for decades. And the worst part is that was happening when I thought I was 
was eating healthy um, and then finally realized that you need healthy fat in your diet. And once I addressed that, then things got better. Uh, The second thing is going to be cognition. I can tell the difference when I'm eating um, bad too frequently and I just begin to lose my eloquence and um, I find it like I'm grabbing for things more and I'm having a hard time. Or, or, oh God, if you really want to know, man, start playing first-person shooters. I know I hype on this like I owned a first-person shooter company. Um, I do not. But I will just say nothing, nothing shows me when I'm off physically and cognitively more than playing video games because the reaction time that you need is so precise and the difference between winning and losing can be absolute like milliseconds. So that is a canary in the coal mine for me. So um, having something like that in your life, whatever your thing is going to be, it could be maybe there's a computer training program or something that you could do that tests your reaction time. I don't know, but there's definitely things that you can do that will show you that. Um, The other is strength. So I want to know where my strength's at. Am I getting weak? Um, Muscle quality. So when you touch your own muscles, how do they feel? Do they feel full? Do they feel hard? Do they feel soft and squishy? Um, All All of these things can be great markers, and I absolutely do look at the level of adipose tissue on my body for sure. Um, That is definitely part of it. And then in terms of quality of skin, that's another thing that I look at. But the real, the real driver of how I decide whether I'm in good health or not is blood levels. I wear a continuous glucose monitor. I understand not everybody's going to go that far, but it is probably my favorite. I'm going to call it a toy. It lets me gamify my life, and it lets me see how the things that I eat impact me. Like, are you ready for this? I react so poorly to carbs, it's insanity. And then I tried sweet potatoes, and I had them cooked in an air fryer, and they were so delicious. They taste like French fries. And I thought, well, I'm going to pay a price for this. And my blood sugar is going to spike. I was probably at the time I had them, let's call it 85. So I'm like, if I'm in an 85, when I eat these, I'm going to be at 120, 122. That was sort of my ballpark guess. I went up less than five points. In fact, I'm going to test that again because that is so weird. I, I can't believe it, but I did a finger prick. Blood test is a backup calibration to make sure that my machine hadn't gone like haywire. And I went up less than five points. And I just thought, that is insane. Yeah, anyway, that completely shocked me. Um, But there are other things that I have, like jicama. Jicama spikes me 10 points. So, yeah. So discovering that stuff for me is a lot of fun and seeing what things spike you, seeing like I take a really long time to come down if I have um, carbs. So like I love uh, popcorn, movie style popcorn. And it doesn't spike me too hard. It's going to take me up to about 120, 122, somewhere there. It's not great because I like to be in the 80s uh, or lower. Hey, I'll take my 70s. Um, But 120 is livable. The problem is that I'll stay in the 90s for like three days. So for whatever reason, like I really respond slowly to coming back down. Okay, that's way too much information. Nobody wanted to hear all that uh, except for maybe you. But The point being that blood levels will tell you what's going on. That's the gold standard. All right, now I'm going to move off that question. But wow, I could do a whole AMA just about my glucose monitor. Next up is Eric Macias. I had a stroke 
two years ago, the age of 27, the same year I was expecting my first child, I read the Can't Hurt Me book by David Goggins, and it inspired me to find my own way to keep myself accountable to what I should be doing every day to recover. My son is a huge reason, and when I spend time with him, it builds a fire under my feet to keep pushing. But I have my days where I get lazy to do the work. How can I keep myself accountable to always be doing what I should be doing to get better? All right, here's the reality, man. You've got to find a way, like your son, to really, really be excited about what you're doing. So the actual act, like you guys heard me talk about um, my cold showers, like you've got to find a way where the act itself makes you feel good. So cold showers make me feel like an absolute fucking badass. And in terms of earning credibility with myself, in terms of it having been one of those things that like I was not phobic of, I'm phobic of swimming in the open ocean. But I, I'm not even phobic of that. Fuck that. And one day I'm sure I will embark on that challenge. But I really don't like the idea. Cold water, though, is second only to that. I really didn't want to do it. I've talked endlessly about how it's tied to my anxiety. And when I finally did it, I thought, man, you fucking did it. This is something that you really didn't want to do. But you took it on as a challenge to do something hard and you did it. You said you were going to do it and you did it. And that is what credibility is all about. And then on the days where I feel weak and I still do it, those are the days that I'm really like, yo, You're just willing to do things that other people can't. And the other day, it was probably two days ago, I really didn't want to get in the cold water. And I turned it on and I had a rush of, it wasn't panic, but when I say that it was just this side of panic, we're just like, it was too much. I wanted to get out. And I grabbed a hold of my mind. I slapped it around and I said, you're going to stand in this cold water and you're going to stop being a bitch about it. And you're just going to deal with, with this cold water. And that's what I did. And it was amazing. And when I got out of that shower, I felt differently about myself. I feel differently about myself right now just telling you about it. So doing things that are hard, but being excited about it so that that very thing gets you amped up. That's what you have to do. Now, you obviously already have that with your son. Now you're going to need what's going to be that other thing. Is it going to be aggression? Is it going to be people that have expected you to fail your whole life? Is it going to be somebody who said, if you keep living like that, you're not even going to see your kid live, you know, to get married or go to college or whatever. Like whatever you need, man. If this is a a dark side moment, lean on that fucking dark side. If this is an accountability mirror thing, talking about David Goggins book, then you need to hold yourself accountable. You need to look in the mirror and say that you didn't do it today. And that's not okay that you expect more from yourself than that. And then... Secret of secrets. Sometimes you just got to give yourself a little grace. And I'm not going to lie. When it came to this 30, technically 30 shower challenge, um, because there have been days where I missed it, not because I took a warm shower, because I took no shower, but I, 30 showers is going to fucking happen with cold water, period, simple as, bright line, under no circumstances, Under no circumstances, I would go to a talk smelling like 10 pounds of ass before I would take a warm shower. If for some reason I couldn't take a shower without it being warm, I'm not joking. I have such bright lines in my life. I would um, douse myself in lye before I would take a warm shower, before I've taken 30 consecutive cold showers. So you got to hold yourself to a standard. 
But if we're not talking bright lines and life happened and you have to just show yourself a little grace on that day, as long as you get back at it, man, don't beat yourself up over that stuff. Like sometimes it's like you just have to say, here's my standard. I'm going to live up to that. You know what? I slipped up. I own that. I'm not letting that be an excuse for me to now fall off the wagon and, you know, totally undo everything. But rather than become further paralyzed by the fact that I fucked up, I'm just going to own it and I'm going to move forward. And that's why I think the accountability mirror can be powerful. You face it, you accept it, you move on. But the whole goal has got to be to just keep improving, keep doing better day after day. All right, Ivana. I want to know more info about intermittent fasting, especially the 16-8 fasting. Do you do that every day or just a few days a week, month? How can you get the most benefits from fasting? Okay, so I intermittent fast probably 92% of the time, a 16-8. There are times, no question, um, where I don't make it the full um, 16 hours Usually for me, that ends up being on a weekend. If the timing of the weekend is just weird enough, like, um, for instance, a lot of times um, my sister and I are about to go to a comic shop on Sunday and I would technically want to break my fast while we're at the comic shop. Um, and I'm not going to do that. So um, when I'm at the comic shop, I'm going to enjoy myself. And I could obviously continue fasting past that. Um, but I like to not be at the end of a fast when I'm trying to really focus on something um, and enjoy myself. So that would be a case where I might break it at 15 or 15 and a half hours so I can eat before I leave. Um, but I think my longest stretch of going 16 hours um, a day without breaking is 37 days was either 32 or 37 days, um, where every single day, uh, I went the full 16 hours and sometimes going 17, 18 hours. Um, so I highly recommend there's an app out there called zero. Um, and it lets you track your fast and it is deadly simple. It is amazing. I love it. Um, it's, and I'm not, you know, rep by those guys or anything. I just fucking love it. Uh, so Check it out if you want to track your fasting. That is the bee's knees. All right, now maybe a little bit more color as to why it matters. Um, the whole point is a process called apoptosis. So you have cells that should die and they're not dying, and they will ultimately become cancerous cells, and they're um, senescent cells. So they're like decrepit, basically. And you want to get rid of these fucking things. And the only way that you can do that is to put them under um, stress of some kind. So you can put them under metabolic stress so that your system is saying, whoa, we don't have any food coming in. We're going to need to start breaking down some of these dysfunctional cells so that we can use their constituent parts. Okay, so that's a big part of it. Then there's probably a whole host of other things like the microbiome probably needs a break. And we know that the microbiome begins sending out different um, signals, either neurochemical signals, or I'm not entirely sure the pathway that they use to communicate, like through the gut lining and stuff. It does happen. I just, I'm not well versed in it enough to explain it. Um, but they are sending off different um communication molecules. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how they do it, but the microbiome definitely begins communicating to your body differently um, during a fast. And so that can be incredibly powerful. There's almost certainly something that I'll use layman's terms for is like a reset mechanism, um, just giving your body a break, like anything, doing it all the time. If your body has to all the time be allocating resources to digestion, it is just not a good look. So taking time off from that, 
also getting your body to create um, ketone bodies is very, very important. You want your metabolic machinery to be flexible, to be able to burn glucose or ketones. And there are some people on this planet, I'm not joking, I'm going to guess there are people on this planet that have literally never produced enough ketones to be read in the blood with current testing um, equipment. And that's crazy. So you want to be able to switch back and forth. That's how you avoid getting hangry. Um, and just having that meta metabolic flexibility is really, really powerful. And I will tell you, you just feel different. So um, for instance, over Christmas, I ate like a hose beast, but it was magical. Part of the reason it was magical was I was religious over Christmas about the 16 hours. Like I said, oftentimes pushing it to 17 or 18 hours. And then I was having a for me anyway, a substantial amount of junk food. And I felt money. I didn't have upset stomachs. I didn't have brain fog, nothing. I felt great. Now, don't get me wrong. I was putting on fat, but not crazy amounts. And I had eaten like that in prior years and not done the 16-hour fast, and I felt bad. So I wanted to see like, hey, if I'm religious about this 16-hour fast, uh, where do I end up? Now, Lisa, you guys may remember, has had tremendous microbiome issues. And one of the most potent forces for her is food timing. So having at least a 16-hour fast, making sure that she stops eating at least at least three hours before she goes to bed, usually four. Um, so yeah, there you have it. All right. Roland Coutinho. In a recent IG post, you talked about empty dreamers versus dreamers with drive. I am an empty dreamer. I have a vision of being a mindset coach and motivational speaker, but I have not taken steps towards it. I have a corporate job, which I hate at the moment, but am not financially stable to quit and venture out on my own. I exercise every day, meditate, work on my mindset by listening to podcasts and audiobooks, and these give me drive and determination in the moment, but I'm mentally drained when I return home from work and lack the drive to do anything about my goals. This is quite ironic since I have visions of being a mindset coach. How do I go from empty dreamer to a dreamer with drive? Okay, um, first of all, let me address the um, dreamer with drive thing. So dreamer with drive means that you're beginning to build an identity that makes demands of you from an action-oriented perspective. So you're gonna say things like, I do not just do empty dreams. When I have a dream, I immediately begin building a plan. And then every day I do something, no matter how big, no matter how small, but I'm doing something to move towards that goal. And every day I'm holding myself accountable to whether I'm actually making progress. And by the way, you probably don't want to do that every day, but you should be looking at that monthly for sure, maybe even weekly and saying, did I actually move forward? Like, I thought this might work, but is it actually working? And if you're saying that stuff and you're building your identity around that and you're building your value system, you have to choose to value action so that what you actually feel good about is taking action, so that taking action is exciting because you've built so much energy around valuing it, about caring about it, and now you're holding yourself accountable to that. You can use the David Goggins accountability mirror if you have to, but you're doing something so that you feel good on the days that you did what you said you were gonna do, and then the other thing is pay your passions first. Wake up early. Do it for an hour before you go to work. That is very doable. You're going to have to go to bed early. But I'm telling you right now, you want to talk about something I have no fucking sympathy for when people are like, man, I just can't. I can't get up an hour early. 
fuck that noise. I built a billion dollar business going to bed at 9 p.m. at night like it was a religion and waking up before most of the world without setting an alarm because you will eventually catch up on your sleep and you're going to stop sleeping a stupid amount of hours. And suddenly, if you go to bed at 9 or go to bed at 8 if you have to, you're going to start waking up with plenty of time to spend an hour focused on your dream doing it first so that that's the thing that gets time and energy. And then, by the way, what are you doing with your weekends? I think if you started keeping a time journal and documenting everything down to either the 15-minute or the 30-minute increment of exactly what you're doing, you're going to find that you waste a lot of time and that every day you probably waste more than an hour. And I'm talking more than an hour during optimal times. So keep that journal, figure out exactly how you're spending your time, build a ton of, like, energy into valuing taking action so that you feel good about yourself when you do it. That's how we're going to gamify that. And then the other thing I want to address now is the motivational speaker. I really wish for people's own sanity, they would stop wanting to be a motivational speaker. And instead, let that part of your life, if that's something that you love, let that take you completely by surprise. What you want to be a motivational speaker about are the things that you learned by going and doing that thing that you love. So, so often now, especially because of social media, people like jump right to the, I want to talk. Man, let me tell you what's powerful is learning. Go out and learn. What else are you passionate about? What do you want to do or learn? Or, or if you just cannot bear to do anything but public speaking, then set your goal. Don't worry about being a motivational speaker. Say, I'm going to become the best speaker in the world. And then your motivational speaking becomes about your journey to become the best speaker in the world. But don't just go talk about motivation in the beginning, man. Go like learn some other crazy subjects. Go become a memory champion. Go like pick, become a salsa champ. Do something. Find something that requires you to do hard shit. Why? Because in doing that hard shit, you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to figure out the strategies and the techniques that you had to do to get you where you wanted to go to win that thing. And let me tell you, there's nothing worse than a motivational coach who feels like a sham because they're not going to be able to bring the noise. So take somebody like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins basically got famous being a motivational speaker by being a motivational speaker. But because Tony is one of the greatest. He may be the GOAT. What made Tony amazing, he understood people. This motherfucker spent so much time growing to understand psychology, growing to understand human behavior, that that's what made him extraordinary. So he was like deep into NLP. He was like deep into everything that he could get his hands on to learn and better understand people. So he had this other thing that he was going way deep on that he was learning about so that he could bring real value to people, which should be what you're focused on. So instead of saying that you want to be a motivational speaker, what result do you want to help people get? You want to help people transform? Okay. Now, if we know that's what we're, we're really about, it's not about empty motivation, which is going to lead you to want to be a hype man. I want to help people actually transform. Okay. In what way? What do you want to help people with? Depression, anxiety, marriages? Like what's going to be your shtick? business, go learn about that thing that you're going to teach people. Now you can start teaching people along the way if you just love it so much and you've got to get out there and do your thing, but make sure that you're going ham to be able to add value to their life in a way that will be meaningful for them. That isn't just empty hype that that's, uh, I can't tell you the reason that I'm able to stand in front of a crowd and 
go hard. And honestly, some part of me does not give a shit what people think because I know every fucking word out of my mouth is gospel truth. I've lived it. I've used it. These are the things that I had to do to my mind in order to get where I got. And I got somewhere. So it's like, yo, believe me or not, that's on you. I know it worked at least once and there ain't shit you can tell me about whether or not it's effective for me. So the only claim I will make is I did this and it had this result. That's it. But when you have that confidence, man, you can fucking go up and rock a mic. But if you don't, if you're like, I read this and it sounds interesting. I don't know, man. That does not sound like a fun way to live your life to me. Like, But going and getting real skills that have massive and immediate application that you can identify and work your ass off to build that set of skills. And here's my like obsession to get people to understand this about skills. The reason the skills are rad. They let you do things. Skills let you do things. So when you have a skill set, you can do things other people cannot do. And so my favorite example is an architect. An architect goes ham to figure out how to build structures, how to make spaces you know, flow, and how to make things beautiful. And because they can do that, they can build a building that will stand up, that will provide people shelter, that will give them a home. That's a real skill. Like they learned how to do that. They know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. So I can't build what they can build. And if people would get that acquiring skills is not about checking a box, acquiring skills is about learning to do something that has real utility. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And as always, thank you for your questions. They are greatly, greatly appreciated. All right, guys, if you haven't already, Hit your boy up, at Tom Bilyeu. You can follow me across the socials. I'm super active on Instagram. YouTube is definitely the place where I want people going and checking out as much content as humanly possible. And if you think that this podcast is adding value, it would be amazing if you went and left a five-star review. I am desperately trying to crack the top 100. And the only way that I can do that is if people go and review this damn thing. All right, thank you guys so much. Until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.